Hello and welcome back to Spine Chillers and Serial Killers. I'm Emma. I'm Becky. And I'm Tash. Hello. 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 Oh, that was horrible. <laughs> that was awful. Oh, horrible. Like a dying <laughs> cat. <laughs> <sighs> How's everyone this week? Yeah, fine. How are you girls? Are you girls okay? Wow, what a week. What a week. Yeah. Does everyone know how how much we tried to record last week and how many times we were stopped by many other things? No, but I'm going to have to say life got in the way and that's why this is very late. It did. But here we are in your ears. And in response to your question, no, I'm not okay at all. In fact. Oh. Kesk us up. Why? I'm quite angry with you two. Why? What? Stop it. Why? I think it's, I'm the type of person that laughs when they're getting in trouble. Go on, please. <laughs> right. Left. Sorry, I shot a load of tea out my nose because Tash did the stupid <laughs> left joke again. It catches me off guard every time. I will never not do it. Uh, <laughs> go on. Why are we in trouble? Right. I love my husband a huge amounts. I mean, it's it would make people sick. It makes me sick. <laughs> yes. yes. I am people. <laughs> I think he's the best thing in the world. I think he's the best looking guy on the planet. And But you would leave him for us. Is that is that why you're angry with us? Because you love us so much. I mean, yeah. obviously, but I'm not angry with you. You can't help being sexy devils. Yeah. That's not it. My point is, I am ridiculously faithful to my husband to the point that even in my dreams, I only ever shag my husband. My sex dreams are with my husband. Oh, dream Becky's a slag. And I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I can honestly say, and this is the honest to God truth, if I have a sex dream, it's my husband. Because he is like my, I don't know, like my celebrity crush, except he's not a celebrity. Oh, this is so disgusting. I know, it's gross, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, I do have... A celebrity crush that makes an appearance in my dreams every so often. And <gasps> Is it the wood chopping guy? It's not the wood chopping guy. Oh, I saw him the other day and I was all... <sighs> Go on. And it never gets to sexy times, but it's oh. more romantic. So we might share a smooch or two. Yeah. Who is it? It's Hugh Jackman. Oh, yeah. My brain occasionally has a little romantic thing with Hugh Jackman. We never have sex. I must repeat this again. Anytime I'm having sex, even if I did begin to have sex with Hugh Jackman, he would turn into my husband. Guaranteed. That's kind of creepy, but go on. You two have fucking ruined Hugh Jackman for me. Why? Because I had one of these romantic dreams uh, during the week. When I was going in to kiss him... I noticed that he had very chapped lips. <laughs> and he said, hold on, I'll just put some chapstick on. Oh, no. So I had to watch Hugh Jackman. Don't laugh, this is not funny. I had to watch Hugh Jackman put lip balm on 
before kissing me. And then when he did kiss me, now he's always been an immaculate kisser. Always. This time when he kissed me, he had a pointy fucking tongue. <laughs> and I was disgusted. Was he and just jabbing it in there like, like bleh, 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 bleh. just jabbing it? It was disgusting. It went from, this is nice, you know, Hugh Jackman's my dream boyfriend, to, this is gross, I'm going to wake up because I'm horrified. You've ruined Hugh Jackman for me. So, yeah, thanks for that, girls. Sorry Aww, about that. Sorry about that. If I'm single, then dream Emma's single too. <laughs> Ugh, I'm disgusted in you. Both of you. Soz, hun, soz. I don't believe you. No, I'm not really sorry. I think you deserve it. Yeah, I'm getting that. I'm getting that. Anyway, let's move away from that. The song from last week or last episode, I'm very confused now because we're late with everything, was Bad Moon Rising. And I got John, Nicole, Ruth, Rochelle and Pippa. So well done, everybody. Did you guys get anybody for Bad Moon Rising? No. No, I didn't get any either, but I had it in my head all week. But it's a good song. I still don't know what the song is, so I can't sing it. You would have heard it, definitely would have heard it before. Maybe. And now, cue the sad music. I'm trying to work. I was going to do sad music, but I couldn't think of any sad music. You tell babe where the road is, and I don't know <laughs> the words. Is that Enya? Yeah, I think and it is. It's, it's a sad one that's always on the little videos on TikTok. <laughs> that's, what it, that's sad music. You have to put that on. Right. Oh, we'd have to pay for it. You can't do it. You can't do it. You just have to put like a sad piano. Well, I'm just keeping you singing. <laughs> All right, okay. Let's put it on. Just play it over and over again, but really quietly in the background. <laughs> it you tease me, but that's exactly what I'm going to do. <laughs> anyway, the sad news is that this is our last episode of season three. That's what you're all going to say. You're going to say, no. (laughs) Oh, yeah, there better be tears. You better be crying right now. No, don't fucking cry. (laughs) Fall into your knees and pulling your hair out. But no, it is because we've actually sat together and worked out that over the summer holidays, Becky is going on holiday. Tash is going on holiday, actually coming to France, which is very exciting. Yes, it is. We're trying to renovate and move house. So we're all very, very busy. Plus, the kids are off school, so obviously we have children. And yeah, it just made sense. And to be honest, we're a bit burnt out because this is hard work. Yeah, we just need to recharge our batteries, focus on our private lives in terms of Emma's house move. I'm also doing some self-growth and re-educating myself and I really need to focus on that as well so we're taking an extended break guys but we shall be back in September yes it is just a break it's not a separation it's just a little pause you know just seeing other people for a while and then we'll be back in September (laughs) yeah (laughs) shh don't cry don't cry shh (laughs) it'll be alright it'll be alright 
It isn't goodbye, it's a see you later. It, oh God, this is terrible. <laughs> it's not a goodbye, it's a see you in a while. Crocodile. Crocodile. <laughs> see you it's later, refrigerator. <laughs> kangaroo. Toodaloo, kangaroo. Toodaloo, you smell of poo. <laughs> I was calculating just full episodes so far. We have done 80. Yeah, 80. We're at 80 episodes. Check us out. I know. And that's without counting the chills and kills and the bonus episodes and all that. So, yeah, go, go us. Go us. And also, go you for listening to those 80 episodes because that, that meant a lot. And what you could do whilst we're away, you could go back and re-listen to previous episodes. And talk about us to everyone you know. You could. You'd be like, oh, you're going on holiday. Is it a road trip? Do you need something to listen to? Boom. Boom. And then you've just saved their holiday because it would have been boring as shit road trip. Now you've just made it exciting. You saved everything. Their marriage. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. Everything. Put the world to rights. World Mm -hmm. peace. World peace. Yeah, mm. that's what's happening anyway. But this week, have we got a little last Tinder with Tash? We've got a last little Tinder with Tash. And who knows, we might come back to more. Stick on that jingle. Sit down, you boys and girls and everyone in between. Story Tash. Tash has stories for you, both funny and obscene. Ooh. Did she swipe right, swipe left, or find out he had a rash? Ew. We're about to find out, cause it's Tinder with Tash. So, I matched with a guy, believe it or not, on her old friend, Tinder, months ago. I'm talking even potentially late last year. We'd exchange numbers his star sign was the month that we matched so that's what I led with like is it your birthday or have you just had your birthday type of conversation and then I suggested that I hosted a birthday party for him because his next birthday was going to be 40 um so we kind of led with that and then it fizzled out so I thought this was a great conversation but whatever anyway fizzled out that's fine Fast forward to about three, four weeks ago, and I get a hey stranger message at like one in the morning. I'm not really there for a one in the morning message anymore because that screams a booty call for me. Yeah, it does sound like a booty call. I'm not in that headspace anymore, guys. You know, I don't I don't want a one AM message. So I messaged him the next morning and I was just like, Good morning. And I was quite cold. I was a bit like, I don't really like messages at one in the morning. So if you want to message me, like, can you do it at a decent hour, please? (laughs) He's like, we're over 30. Come on, let's be real. We're all in, we're all tired all the time. (laughs) Yeah. You can contact me between business hours only. Yeah. (laughs) Weekdays only. I was like, it just screams booty call and I'm just not really here for that energy. He was like, no, I was just caught. I was just like messaging to say hi, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so I start talking to him again. And then he asks if he can take me out for dinner. And he explicitly said, please, can I take you for dinner? I was like, yeah, sure. I was like, when are you available? 
and we sort of exchanged when we were available and it turns out that we were both going to be available in like eight days time which was like a Sunday evening so then he was saying oh I'd really like to meet you sooner I don't want to have to wait and I was like well listen I've got the morning free we can meet for like coffee if you want that's fine for me like I don't mind doing that and then I went on to make a joke how it went from having dinner to drinks to coffee and then I said fuck it why don't we just meet in the park and drink from the water fountain it was just banter it was just a little bit of like you know light-hearted playfulness and he did laugh and was like oh yeah like ha ha I I don't think he got my banter. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, did he go LOL? Yeah, basically, yeah. (laughs) So I don't think he got my banter, which is fine. And also over text, it's hard to sometimes grasp. Anyway, so it goes back and forth like this. We've made a date. We've set a date. It's going to be coffee instead. And then we were texting the night before. And he'd said, like, still on for tomorrow. I was like, yep, sure, I'll be available at 10. He was like, okay, I'll come meet you in the town centre. And then whilst we were texting, I fell to sleep because it was really late. And yeah, like he was taking like a while to message back, which is fine. Like, if you- Did you just say I fell to sleep? Yeah. Okay. Is that okay? I mean, yeah, that's fine. Wh- what are you confused about? I fell asleep. I fell asleep. <laughs> I don't know what I said. I fell to sleep. <laughs> well, I said it wrong. I didn't even notice it, to be fair. So. No, I, sorry. I said it's it wrong. SM-ly it definitely difficult. is. I fell asleep. I just okay, said I, it I wrong. just thought it was a different way of saying it. I fell to sleep. You go to sleep or you, you fall Yeah, asleep. I think I've just muddled the two ways of saying it up. That's fine. Happens to the best of Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should fall asleep now. <laughs> and then... Um, I wake up in the morning early. He'd replied to my message, but a really weird reply saying, oh, this is all a wind up anyway. It was almost like he'd had an argument, an internal argument with himself and had just like left me a message, but hadn't, I didn't know what was going on. So I messaged him in the morning at like six o'clock and I was like, oh, I'm not really sure what you mean. Like, are we still on for later? And nothing nothing back no message he hadn't been online and so it gets to 10 o'clock I'm in the town centre anyway because I was collecting my new glasses actually I hear nothing from him he's not been online and so obviously I just go home and I just put a message to him saying nice ghosting then he replied to me later that day at like five o'clock in the afternoon saying oh I'm so sorry I didn't wake up till 12 so I literally just ripped into him and I was like you obviously had no intention of meeting me otherwise you would have set an alarm to to come and meet me I don't really get why you've been like that and then he went on to tell me how previously um, women that he's met on Bumble have turned out to be catfishes and have screwed him over and so he just didn't feel like he knew that I was real and so he didn't come to meet me that's a stupid excuse it's so weird and then um, that's just a lie yeah it's just some shit lie isn't it he went on to say that if i wanted to meet him still the week after for like dinner that we could but maybe it'd be wise to have a phone call 
and that I could call him if I wanted. So I called him there and then. I called him. (laughs) And I was like, I'm not really sure what's going on. Like, this is all a bit weird. You either want to meet me or you don't. You ghosted me. Now you're expecting me to come for dinner with you. Don't really know what you want from me. (laughs) And I proper laid into him. Yeah, then he sent me another text after the phone call. He was like, so we still on for the dinner on Sunday? And were you like, uh, did you not just hear me? No. Get the wax out your ears, yeah. mate. I was like, no, we're not, we're not going to go for dinner. So that was the end of him. And guess what his name was? Ben? Yeah. Ben. Ah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I know you've got a Ben, Emma, but. I've got the, I, I've got the Ben. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I feel like you have the only one good guy, Ben. I feel like most names, there's only one or two that are good. And you've already got that one. P.S. Sorry to any other Ben's out there that are good, but that is not my experience with Ben's. Tasha's ex-husband was a Ben, just putting that out there (laughs) so nobody feels offended. He did the name dirty. Yeah, he did the name dirty, but also I feel like Ben's quite a common name. And so I can't constantly rule out all Ben's because what if my Mr. Right and my soul mate and all that jazz is called Ben? And I'm writing them off just because my ex-husband's called Ben. It just seems to me that particular guy just seems really childish. Like, was he 19 or something? So immature. No, he was 40. But then actually, when I was on the phone to him, you know, the way somebody talks, I was like, you are not very, like, I don't want to sound horrible, but like emotionally mature and... No, he's just acting like a child. Very strange. Yeah. Well, another one bites the dust. Mm, really strange. Another one bites the dust. By September, we'll either have good news and we can end into a tash and I'll have the love of my life or the saga continues. I hope you find the love of your life, sweetheart. I expect the saga will continue. <laughs> and then you can become like the agony ant for spine chillers and serial killers and help other people. That would be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, when you're reading the Agony Ant section, you have to do like a David Attenborough. Okay. Attenborough voice. Why? But like in your voice. David Attenborough an Agony Ant? Because I just like his voice and I think Tash could do a really good female version of it. Do it, Tash. And so the date ended. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that was really good. Oh, thanks, thanks, thanks. All right, I've got a few shout outs and then we're going to get down to the story. Okay, so because we are finishing, I'm also going to give the answers for last Tuesday's episode that we would have done next week, but obviously we're not around. So Tasha's song was Proud Mary by the lovely Tina Turner. Rolling, rolling on a river. That's the one. So I got Pippa, Carabeth, John, Rochelle and Ruth. So well done to you. Over the holiday, let us know if you want us to continue with the horror songs or should we think of something else or should we just move on? I don't know. Has it had its time? Let us know. What do you think, Bex? Yes, please. Please Please let Let us us know. know. And if you have any other ideas of games you want to play, let us know. I got two messages from two new listeners that made me very happy. Our first message 
was from the Greater Boston Paranormal Associates. So it's an actual paranormal group. Hello, guys. <laughs> I know. I got quite excited about this. And it says, hey, ladies, just a quick note to tell you how much I love your podcast. There's nothing worse than dolts. I had to look the word dolts up because I didn't know what it meant. I also don't know what it means. So if you'd like to tell me, that would be great. It means idiots. Oh, so there's nothing worse than dolts who take themselves too seriously. And that definitely isn't you. <laughs> Woo. Thanks, homie. My gang has spent the night at several of the locations you've done. Sally House and the Villisca Axe Murder House. Ooh. And he sent me some pictures. Uh, so he started with those, but I've been binging ever since. Keep up the good work. And last but not least, Becky, if I were you, I'd demand to be called 3B or Triple B moving forward and wouldn't answer to anything else. <laughs> Becky's brain's now whirring to try and remember that episode. Yeah. What what happened? Big boob Becky. 3B. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was thinking triple B. I was thinking for some reason I was thinking of batteries, you know, like triple A. <laughs> Yeah, all right, that makes more sense. So that was from Don from the Greater Boston Paranormal Associates. So thanks so much for that. It also turns out his group have been to the Conjuring House that we did an episode on. So that's exciting. And a lot of my stories, I have used books by Richard Estep. Do you girls remember? I've mentioned him quite a lot. Yep. Yeah. Well, this guy from the paranormal group, knows Richard Estep and was actually going to meet with him over the weekend. So I was like completely fangirling and I was like, oh, say hi from us. So there, Richard Estep might know about our podcast. That would be amazing. That would be really cool. And if you are listening, Richard, which would be absolutely hi. mind-blowing, hello and thanks for the hi. books. <laughs> hi, Richard. Big fan. Hello. 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 <laughs> All right. I really like your books. Fox Hollow Farm, that was one of his. I think it was probably one of his for The Conjuring House. Yeah, I've used loads of his books as sources. And I've always credited you, Richard. Just putting it out there. You've always been credited. So there we mm -hmm. go. So yeah, a little fangirl moment there. Ooh, yeah. I got a little bit excited. And then we got a lovely message from John, a different John to our usual John, because again, there are lots of Johns out there. There are. And he said, hi, I've recently found your podcast and I'm working my way through your back catalogue and your lovely voices and terrible jokes, which by the way, our jokes are hilarious and not terrible at all, are getting me through work. Could I have a shout out on your next episode? Thank you for your time. Well, John, this is your shout out. Thank you and welcome to the Serial Chiller family. We're very glad to have you. Welcome, John. Welcome. Yes. Welcome, welcome. Right, that's me done. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Shall I do a bit of a podcast now, do you think? Let's do yeah. it. Mm -hmm. Just to explain, I bit off a little bit more than I could chew with this story. So this week, I'm sorry if you were expecting a true crime well, you would have been expecting a true crime because that's what we do. The podcast would have lasted like four hours. So because I had to wrap this story up, Becky's very kindly said, you go for it. And so this week we are literally just finishing up the Becker family haunting. 
you said that it's quite a big story, so... I could have probably done another three parts, easily. So, where did we leave off last week? Marsha and Edwin had begun arguing quite a lot. Their lives were starting to imitate things that they were hearing, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah. And Myra had buggered off, crazy old Myra, and they had found some more tenants who had a baby and they had to find an apartment because they'd been thrown out, just like Edwin and Marsha. Yeah. So Ellen and Dave moved in. So that's a new couple. And the Beckers found it reassuring to have a family living downstairs. Now, any noises, footsteps, doors slamming, or whatever else went on in the building could simply be explained away by the new tenants. And I kind of get that, because when I'm alone and the cats are inside, if I hear a weird noise, I just say, oh, it's a cat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I totally get that. Oh, and that's reminded me of a spooky thing that I've got to tell you at the end. Okay. But it wasn't long before they too started having trouble in their apartment. Dave stopped Edwin one evening and asked that the next time he was going to cut the power, could he please give him a heads up? Edwin had, of course, no idea what he was talking about, but said, oh, it's an old building and there have been some electrical issues. So next time, just let me know and I'll get someone to come and look. They seemed like a nice couple all in all, but they did fight a lot. Edwin and Marsha could hear them arguing almost daily. Edwin decided one day to pop home for lunch, and as he got to the building, he was met by an old lady sat on the steps. Now, this wasn't unusual in itself. The elderly would often just sit down for a few minutes on someone else's step to catch their breath before setting off again. Edwin smiled and said hello, and the lady smiled back. He mentioned it to Marsha, but she hadn't seen anything, and when they checked, the lady had gone. A few weeks later, Edwin finally met his neighbour, Walter, a nice chap in his 80s that had lived next door for 40 years. He invited Edwin in for a drink and they soon began chatting about the family that had previously lived in Edwin and Marsha's building. Walter explained that the mother had died of a broken heart when one of her sons had moved out after a falling out and that he would walk past to go to work every morning for 20 years while she watched from her window sometimes calling out, but every day he would ignore her. Eventually, she died from sadness of losing her son. She had two other sons. One was just not right, said Walter. He looked crazy, evil even. He died mysteriously in the house. A suicide, they said. But to be honest, we don't really know. Then there was Ben, her last son. Oh, this is another wrong un. Ben's the perv. See? Ah, see? You've got the only nice one out there, Emma. Mm. So Ben was the other son. Oh, yes, I know about him, said Edwin. Well, Ben had a wife. Nice enough lady, but they would fight all the time. One day, she went down to do the laundry and never came up. Suicide as well. At this point, Edwin pointed out that the family seemed to have a history of mental illness. He knew Ben was a pervert. Now the younger son appearing to be crazy too. And of course, let's not forget Myra, who was insane. Batshit, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He asked about the father of the family. Walter said, oh, he was a monster. He abused his entire family constantly. He was the one who built the house, did you know? Edwin confessed to not knowing that. Walter then had a think and said, actually, apart from Ben's wife, you are the first people to live there that aren't part of their bloodline. Edwin asked if Walter would be surprised if he said that the building was haunted. 
Walter replied, I'd be surprised if you told me otherwise, to be honest. We know they're still there, and we were worried about you moving in when we saw you had that tiny baby. The two finished up their drinks, and Walter said Marsha was always welcome to come and sit with his wife if ever she felt like she needed to get out. Edwin thanked Walter, and the two parted ways. He went to his apartment to collect Marsha and the baby to go out for the afternoon. They arrived home at around 10pm. They were greeted by a stunned-looking Dave, so the tenant downstairs. Have you been out all afternoon, he asked. Yeah, they both replied. Why? Well, we heard an awful lot of noise coming from upstairs, like furniture being moved. We heard big crashes. We assumed you two were fighting. Oh, it was probably the dog chasing the cat around, said Edwin. Did you hear any barking? Nothing, replied Dave. As the couple went upstairs, they saw nothing out of place. They did, however, find Holly and Kitty cowering in a corner together, obviously terrified. What on earth has been going on here today? Edwin asked them as if they'd answer. That night, Holly jumped on their bed and started growling towards the door. Edwin went to check to see if anyone was there. Nothing. He came back to bed and Holly settled. What was it? asked Marsha. I think Holly can see things that we can't, he answered. What, like ghosts, you mean? Marsha said. Yeah, like ghosts, he replied. This was the first time Edwin had admitted to a change in his belief system. But instead of saying, I told you so, which was definitely deserved, Marsha just cuddled up to him and kissed him goodnight. The next morning, the couple finally had an open discussion about the haunting. Marsha said that they should move. Edwin downright refused. He didn't believe that the ghost could harm them. They are just living their ghost lives, like they always did. It's no big deal. Plus, financially, they were stuck. Marsha was afraid, but Edwin really didn't care that there were ghosts in the house. This was their house and they were staying. The spirits would just have to put up with it. Marsha was confused. But didn't you see Holly last night? She obviously sensed danger. No, replied Edwin. He told Marsha all about Ben and how he thought it was him haunting their house. He said he's harmless. Aren't you, Ben, you old pervert? Marsha was really shocked. Edwin, don't aggravate him. Oh, don't worry, he won't do anything. He just looks at porn all the time, don't you, you sick bastard? <laughs> Laying into him. Edwin was being honest. The way he saw it, Ben was not real. They were. He was just a spirit that they had no idea how to get rid of, but he certainly didn't feel threatened. Of course, he would have moved if he thought that Marsha and Christine were in any danger, but he honestly thought it was nothing to worry about. The next day, Edwin drove home for lunch as once more he couldn't reach Marsha on the phone. The old lady was sat on his steps again. He smiled and said hello as he walked past. He got upstairs and said, Ben must have needed the phone again. Yes, Marsha said, and Holly and Kitty have been going nuts all morning. I really can't take this anymore. Edwin told Marsha to look out of the window. That was the lady I was telling you about, he said. Which lady, replied Marsha. There's no one out there. Edwin looked out of the window and the little old lady was nowhere in sight. There's no way she could have walked in either direction so fast. Oh, she must live somewhere close, he said. As the days went on, Edwin would often see the frail woman just sat on their front steps. She never spoke, but she always smiled back at him. Her legs were always folded strangely underneath her, so he assumed she had trouble walking. He did start watching to see where she lived or how she got around, but he never found out. 
Eventually, Marcia saw her too. She was on the stairs saying goodbye to Edwin as he left for work, and there, at the bottom of their steps, stood the old lady, glaring at them both. Oh my God. It was strange as she usually looked so happy. She then glided away towards the first floor apartment. Oh, said Edwin, that's it, of course. I bet she's staying with Dave and Ellen. That explains everything. He went off to work, happy that the mystery was finally solved. So he's blatantly just ignoring that she just glided. Yeah, that's not normal. People don't glide. Upon arriving home, however, Marcia told him, Ellen doesn't know of any old woman. No one is staying with them. Edwin was shocked. But she went into their apartment. She definitely didn't leave by the front door. We would have seen her. Eddie, I think we saw a ghost. No way, she looked too solid. I've been right next to her. She looks real as you and me. Next time I see her, I'll touch her to prove that she's real. (laughs) Boop. (laughs) Yeah, little boop. However, there wouldn't be a next time, as any time he saw her after that, she was always too far from him to touch her. Let me touch you. (laughs) That next weekend, he spotted Walter. He asked him if he could describe the mother of the house to him, and he described the old lady to A.T. Edwin told Walter that he had seen her many times. Walter didn't look surprised at all. As far as I know, she was a nice lady, but if she's there, be careful that the others aren't there too. I'm pretty sure they are, replied Edwin. I think you should call a priest. I have, said Edwin, but he refused to help us. Go see him directly, advised Walter. You definitely need help. With that, Edwin left and went to tell Marsha that the old lady was indeed a ghost. Marsha's response was not what he was expecting. He was almost excited to be getting to the bottom of the mysteries that were held inside the walls. She wanted out. She said, I'm going to stay with my mum for a week. I've got to get out of this house. And so a few days later, Edwin dropped her off at the airport and drove back home alone. When he got in, Dave was waiting for him. Sorry, Edwin, but the electricity went out again twice. Do you think you could call someone? Yes, of course. I'll get on it tomorrow. I'm just back from the airport. Yes, I know, said Dave. Ellen told me Marsha was going away. I can't say I'm surprised after all the arguments. Arguments? asked Edwin. Yeah, sorry to say, we hear everything when you guys fight. Edwin didn't have the heart to tell Dave that it wasn't them that they were hearing the same ghostly couple that him and Marsha had heard many times before. I'll talk to you tomorrow, said Edwin, avoiding the subject, and went up to his apartment. That first night alone, Holly yet again did the whole growling at the bedroom door routine while Kitty hissed in the corner. They all eventually fell asleep. The next morning, Edwin couldn't find his keys to go to work. He searched everywhere and eventually found them in the sink. With the garage key, bent into a perfect L shape. Ben, did you do this? He shouted, annoyed. He got the key straightened out at work by one of his colleagues using a vice. That lunchtime, he bumped into Ellen. He thought he would ask her if she had any strange experiences in the building. Strange like the footsteps on the back porch, or my dishes smashing themselves, or the basement floor flying open even when it's locked, or the chandelier swaying all by itself. (laughs) Is that what you mean? She said. It sounds like she knows exactly what he means. <laughs> oh, you mean all this horrible, horrible, terrifying stuff? Do you mean no, that? no, no, no. None of that happens to me. No, no, no. 
No, no, no. Yeah, I think we might have a ghost, replied Edwin. She laughed. Think you might? I know you do, but I thought maybe it was just our flat. I haven't told Dave about it, though, as he's really superstitious and he'd want to move straight away. So you're not scared, asked Edwin. No, not really. It's more annoying than anything. Can you keep this from Dave, do you think? Probably, if I can talk to you and Marsha about it. Edwin said that Marsha would be really happy to have someone else to talk to about it all. The next day, his keys once more had gone missing. He found them on top of the dish cupboard. Ben, you old bastard, leave my keys alone. (laughs) The garage key was again bent into a perfect L shape. That night, Edwin hid his keys under his pillow. His mind was whirling round with all the information he just couldn't explain. He then decided he would go visit Father Barnes the next day to ask him again for his help. He was left waiting for ages in the priest's office. He thought that the priest was actually hoping he'd get fed up and leave. But eventually he came to talk to Mr Becker. Edwin begged and pleaded for the church's help, but was denied once again. Edwin was furious. So it's fine for you to accept our donations, but when we need you, you don't want to know, is that right? Father Barnes just said, I'm sorry you feel that way, but I really can't help you. Edwin left frustrated and pissed off. That was the last time he would ever enter a Catholic church in his life. He nipped home before returning to work to walk the dog. The phone was off the hook and his animals were cowering in a corner. This was the last straw and Edward decided he too needed a break. He asked his boss for a few days off, left Holly with Dave and Ellen, who would also feed Kitty for him, and he left to meet Marsha and the baby at his mother-in-law's. Upon their return, they were met at the front door by Dave. Edwin, I'm sorry, but we have to leave, so consider this our 90-day notice. Edwin was taken aback. What's wrong? What happened? It was awful here when you were gone. We nearly called the police as the screaming coming from your flat was so intense. There were bangs and crashes, like everything was being thrown around. And yet when we went to check, nothing was out of place and there was no one there. I don't know what's going on, but we can't stay. Okay, said Edwin. Of course, but please, can we talk about it tomorrow night? We won't try and get you to stay, but we'd really like to know all the details about what happened. The next morning, Marsha was surprised to see Edwin searching for his keys. What on earth are you doing, she asked. Oh, it's a new Ben thing. He likes to hide my keys unless I keep them under my pillow, and last night I forgot. He eventually found them in some weird place, and yes, the garage key was bent in an L shape again. Marsha was scared, so Edwin suggested that she rang Ellen to talk about it all. And she was straight on the phone, and before Edwin left for work, Ellen was already upstairs and sat at their table with her baby. The two women chatting away about every single thing that they had encountered. They were still there when he returned that evening. Blimey. I've chatted all day. I mean, I've been there. I have done that, so. Ellen decided to tell them one last thing before Dave arrived for their meeting. When we first moved in, we gave the baby the front bedroom. She was happy in there and seemed to play by herself, quite content for hours. Ellen just thought they were lucky to have such a good baby. And then, one afternoon, her heart dropped as she saw a man stood in the bedroom doorway. She knew instantly that it wasn't Dave, as this man was much taller and skinnier. That's a roundabout way of saying that her husband's short and fat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And when she saw his face, he was disfigured in some way. He looked scary. 
He then entered the baby's room. Turning into full mama bear mode, she ran inside after him, but he'd vanished. Laura, her baby, however, was giggling, arms outstretched towards the corner of the room, as if she was waiting to be picked up by someone. It was at that point she realised why her baby was so happy. She'd been sharing the room with this man all along. The baby didn't seem bothered, but Ellen definitely was. Yeah, I think I would be. Yeah, and moved the baby to another room immediately, explaining it to Dave by saying she wanted the baby closer so they could hear her cry at night. Dave arrived, and they spent the rest of the evening discussing things that Dave knew about. They went on till about ten when they said their goodbyes, and the couple returned downstairs. Marsha was very relieved to have found an ally in all this, even if it was only for three months. A few days later, the couple returned home and couldn't find Kitty anywhere. She was an indoor cat. She never went outside. They searched high and low for her. Edwin, for some reason, felt the need to look out of the window down to the pavement, and there was Kitty. His heart sank as she wasn't moving. He rushed downstairs. If somehow she had managed to squeeze out of that tiny gap in the window, which seemed impossible in itself, the fall of 20 feet would have definitely killed her. He scooped her up and was amazed to see that she was completely unharmed. Oh, thank goodness. He brought her upstairs, where Marsha grabbed her and started crying. Oh, Kitty, they tried to kill you. But Edwin disagreed. Look at her, Marsha, there's not a scratch on her. The only way she got down there is if they floated her down and put her on the pavement. That's the only explanation. I don't like that. No, nor do I. That night, Holly started growling and barking at the air again. Kitty cowered in the corner, hissing. Then Holly started to lunge and bite something. She did this three or four times before Edwin turned the light on to calm her down. Marsha said, I'm scared, Eddie. Please, can we sell? Edwin refused, saying that they will find a way to sort this out. Marsha didn't know that he actually wanted to sell, but they had no money. If they did sell, they would be left with nothing to buy anywhere else. They were trapped. That morning, as he took Holly out, she jumped the fence and ran off down the street. Edwin ran after her as fast as he could, but he couldn't catch her. He knew why she'd run away. She was terrified of whatever she'd been attacking the night before. As he walked slowly back, Walter called him across. Edwin asked him if anyone fit the description of the man Ellen had seen in the baby's room. Henry, replied Walter, the son who died by suicide, supposedly. Walter looked concerned and asked if he had talked to a priest. Edwin told him about Father Barnes and Walter just said, well, you know, there are other churches. It doesn't have to be a Catholic one. No, you're right, it doesn't, said Edwin. And he started walking back home, leaving Walter sat with a blank expression on his face, lost in thought. Edwin told Marsha about the dog, but he knew that they would never see her again. He said that Walter knew the man that Ellen had seen, Henry, the troubled son. So now they knew they had at least four ghosts, the mother, the two sons, Henry and Ben, and Ben's wife, no doubt the woman they heard screaming during the ghostly arguments. Edwin finally started to feel real fear, but tried not to let on. But the situation was all-consuming. It was all he or Marsha could think about. So much so that Ellen and Marsha had started doing research at the library trying to find solutions. And they came across ghost specialists that could help. 
She told Edwin about them and he was amused. Where do you think I can find ghost experts? She asked him and he jokingly replied, I don't know, try the yellow pages. And she did just that and she found two groups. The first came out immediately but were blatantly fakes as as soon as they saw anything even remotely strange, they took off with their tails in between their legs. Marsha asked Edwin if she should contact the second group. He replied, well, we've got nothing to lose. The second group was the Illinois Psychic Research, and they were a lot less eager. They took the couple's details and said they would call them later for an interview, and if it was deemed necessary, they would conduct an investigation. All Marsha and Edwin can do was to wait for their call. In the meantime, Edwin got another dog, a grey poodle called Princess. I'm just not happy with how original their pet names are, Kitty and Princess. Really? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, not very original. Dear me. I mean, I've got a cat called Trevor. That's original. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's hilarious. It always makes me laugh. One of my biggest regrets is not naming Poppy a better name than Poppy. Well, you've had her ages. Yeah. I wasn't as funny back then. No. And that's an animal name. I've had a cat called Poppy. But now I've got Phyllis. Albert, Trevor, you know, put yeah. some thought into it. That's what I'm Give saying. Give some good names. But no, Princess. And no disrespect to any pets out there called Princess. Especially if it's ironic. I feel like it, it, I would call, if I got a really ugly dog. <laughs> yeah. Call it Belle. <laughs> <laughs> well, my dog's called Belle, actually, isn't she? But she is actually yeah, very beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. But no, no, if I had a really ugly dog, I think it would definitely be a princess. Like cross-eyed and dribbling with a snaggletooth poking out. Oh, <laughs> I love snaggletooth. <laughs> Little snaggletooth. <laughs> Edwin got another dog, a grey poodle called Princess. She instantly went nuts inside the home, barking non-stop at everything. The next day, as she was let out for a pee, it didn't surprise Edwin that she did exactly what Holly did and hopped herself over the fence and started running as fast as her legs would carry her. And that would be the last dog the couple ever brought into the house. So they lost two dogs. Maybe they shouldn't get any more. Well, no, they're not. They don't. Good. A few days later, they were contacted by a man named Tom Valentine. He was part of the Illinois Psychic Research and asked if he could come and interview the couple. When he arrived, he was a nice man, nothing odd or strange about him. He seemed very down to earth and sensible a far cry from the first group that had visited. He began asking questions, some very personal, but he needed to rule out any mental illness and such before bringing in some of the other team members for an investigation. The couple were asked if they drank or did drugs. Edwin was horrified by these questions, but understood why Tom had to ask. After a while, he said that he would come back with another couple of people from the group to investigate further. One of the questions he asked stuck with Edwin. Were either of them interested in the occult? They'd both answered no, but his mind went straight to the Ouija board that they'd found when they'd moved in. Someone was definitely into the occult within the previous family. Could it have been Myra or maybe Pervy Ben trying to speak to his dead wife? Had they opened a door to something that they couldn't close? These thoughts filled his head and he was frustrated with not having any answers. Tom Valentine came back again with two psychics. Joseph DeLuise and Barbara. She doesn't have a last name. It's just Barb. Just Barb. Oh, <laughs> just Barb. Barb. 
Edwin didn't like the look of these two. They both had jet black hair, neither of them smiled, and they kind of looked a bit evil. But he liked and trusted Tom, so he let them all in. They walked around the house, touching things, studying the different rooms, asking pretty much the same questions that Tom had previously, probably trying to trip the couple up. Eventually, they all went off without the Beckers. When they returned, they both agreed that there were multiple ghosts inside the building. An old woman, who seemed harmless, two males, one older and the other... Younger? Yeah. (laughs) And the other was younger. (laughs) Who'd have thought? (laughs) Yeah, I know. The younger one was the one that was worrying the psychics as he seemed evil. And they worried about him causing harm. They said at least he needed to go. And lastly, a female who had committed suicide in the garage. Edwin said, no, the basement. She committed suicide in the basement. But the psychics were adamant she had died in the garage. Maybe she'd been moved to the basement afterwards, they suggested. Edwin looked a little dubious. Barbara just looked at him and said, bullets. Pardon, said Edwin. Bullets, she replied. In the basement, in a jar, hidden in the rafters. Edwin was dumbfounded. He had found bullets in a jar in the basement and he had hidden them in the rafters. But he'd never told anyone, not even Marsha. How could Barbara know? Then he thought back to the garage key that was always bent in an L shape. Maybe there was something to these psychics after all. Edwin said, and you think that one of the male ghosts could harm us physically? Oh yes, replied Joseph, most definitely. He needs to be removed. Ghosts can actually hurt us. Absolutely they can. If they can move objects, they can also throw objects. I've been injured many times. The couple were shaken by this news, but they now felt quite confident that this team could help them. Joseph didn't let on at the time that ghosts were extremely difficult to force out of a house and sometimes impossible. The couple finally could see a light at the end of the tunnel. Joseph said we need to do an exorcism on the house. I will have to go into a trance and try and communicate with the spirits to find out why they are still here and convince them to leave. This is so dangerous, so I will be assisted by Reverend Durl Davis, who will make sure that I don't go too far into the trance, where one of the ghosts could possess me. He said he needed a few days to prepare, and in the meantime, the couple was not to engage with the ghosts at all. Show no emotion, no fear, no recognition, nothing, as that's what they feed off. He told Edwin to stop talking to them. Edwin had not actually admitted to teasing Ben, so this surprised him somewhat, but he said he wouldn't anymore. Marsha told Ellen everything and they both were so hopeful that it would work and that Dave would change his mind about moving as they had become firm friends. The couple did exactly as instructed and completely ignored any ghostly happenings, which was quite difficult because they were acting like they knew they were about to be evicted and were lashing out. A few days passed and the phone rang. Marsha hoped it was Joseph but it was an NBC correspondent called Carol Simpson. She had heard about the upcoming exorcism via Joseph and was asking if they could film it for TV. The couple agreed, only if it was taken seriously. They didn't want to come across as crazy and turn it into a joke. Carol assured them that it would be respectful of the Beckers and in no way would portray them badly. They met with her for an initial interview and found her to be very caring and warm never showing any signs of anything but concern and curiosity. She explained how everything would happen, that a film crew would come and take footage of the house, 
and then they would have to record an interview with her, and then they would return for an actual exorcism. The Beckers both felt comfortable with everything, so all they had to do now was wait for the day. It was scheduled for the following week. Joseph asked them to make sure the children were not home and said it would take anywhere from two to six hours in total. This would be the first ever televised exorcism. On the day, the NBC crew arrived early. There were eight of them in total. Once everything was set up, Joseph and the Reverend arrived, both dressed in clerical robes. It turned out that the psychic was in fact an ordained minister. They set up on the dining table, turning it into something that resembled an altar. The Reverend asked loudly, Are you all staying for the ceremony? Everybody nodded. He said, Once we begin, no one can leave until we've finished. I will make no exceptions. The film crew looked nervous and five of them promptly left leaving one cameraman and one sound tech who only stayed if he was given a crucifix and a Bible. That will see you right, won't it? It will. The Reverend explained what would happen. They would start by praying, then Joseph would go into a trance. He held a cross in one hand and a mirror in the other. They would try to get the spirits to look in the mirror, and when they saw no reflection, they would understand that they were no longer of this world. He said they must all remain silent. This is so dangerous and I need silence no matter what you see. With that, the prayers began and Joseph came to sit down and began to enter into his trance. Almost instantly, a huge gust of wind blew throughout the apartment, making the windows rattle. The air became thick and cold. The sunlight seemed to vanish. Everyone was aware that something was happening and the fear was palpable. Joseph began speaking, saying, you need to leave this place. You don't belong here anymore. He held up the cross and the mirror. See, you do not exist any longer. The reverend started saying, come back, Joseph, don't go too far. Then another voice altogether came out of Joseph, a frail woman's voice. The picture, the numbers, I need the number. The reverend said, that does not concern you anymore. The combination, the number, the voice pleaded again. Joseph, come back, said the reverend, and again the voice of the psychic could be heard. You must leave. As Joseph continued trying to coax the ghost out, the spectators heard another sound, a bird chirping, and then more birds, and then more, until it was almost deafening. Thousands of birds must have been all around the building. There were no trees or anything to attract birds, and Edwin and Marcia had never heard such a noise. After about an hour, Joseph relaxed in his chair and opened his eyes. Are you finished? asked the Reverend. Joseph nodded. Although his body language did not show victory at all, he seemed sad and sombre. The Reverend turned round to pray at the altar, and then they both asked everyone to stay seated until they had sealed the house with salt. Once they had finished, the reverend said the house was now clean and pure, although neither of their faces looked happy. They both answered a few questions for the TV channel and then abruptly left. Edwin decided to ignore his doubts and just assumed their demeanour was due to being tired from the exorcism. The couple left to pick up their daughter and asked Ellen when they got back if she had heard anything coming from upstairs. With a smile, she said, nope, it was all quiet. Everyone felt as though a weight had been lifted. Oh, Marsha and Edwin spent the rest of the evening watching TV and everything was quiet in the apartment. At bedtime, Edwin listened to his own recording of the exorcism. 
He heard the birds extremely loudly and then a strange tapping sound that no one had picked up at the time. And then more disturbingly, they heard a little voice crying, Mama? There were no kids around at all as this was during school hours. And even if there had been, all the windows of the flat were shut. Slightly unnerved by this, the couple still felt that something spiritual had happened that afternoon and that they would be left in peace from now on. Edwin woke up at 5am, clearly hearing the sounds of a woman sobbing. He reached out and felt that Marsha was still in bed. The crying was coming from the living room. The bedroom door was open and he could see into the living room. No one was there. Marsha, are you awake? he asked. Yes, she said. Can you hear that? Yeah. What is it? I have no idea, but there isn't anybody in the living room. He went to go and check, and as soon as he approached, the sound stopped. Marsha looked at him and said, Eddie, I'm scared. He replied, I hope that that was a ghost crying before they left, otherwise I'm scared too. I'm scared too, Eddie. (laughs) After the exorcism aired on the TV, NBC told the couple that it had been very successful, and so it was aired a few more times, and an even longer segment was aired in other states. All concerned got a bazillion phone calls asking for their side of the story. The attention wasn't really appreciated and the couple just let the buzz eventually fizzle out, claiming that all was well. Of course it wasn't. The weeks following the activity had started up again, as if no exorcism had ever happened. Ellen and Dave moved out. Marsha was sad to have lost her friend. Edwin's sister, April, who was fascinated by the occult and everything paranormal, asked if she could move in with her family. Edwin was very reluctant, but eventually gave in and agreed. As he was cleaning the apartment, he sold the old lady one last time. She was sat in the empty flat in her wheelchair by the window, looking at Edwin and then looking back outside, before vanishing. Edwin went to look out of the window and he saw an old man staring at the house. He knew that this was the son that had moved out and never spoke to his mother again as Walter had told him he still lived on the block. He assumed that the pair had finally made peace and that the mother had moved on as he never saw her again after that. April moved in with her two sons and her husband Jim. It was nice having family all together under one roof and they were soon settled in as if they'd always lived there. Edwin warned April to not interact with the spirits but she was so excited to see something for herself that he felt that the advice went unheard. Edwin had come up with an out. He had taken a second job in the evening from 6 to 10 that would allow the couple to move out in around 8 months. So he wasn't around a lot and didn't notice that his sister had become more and more obsessed with the ghosts. So much so that she had bought a Ouija board to communicate with them. What are you doing? April started inviting friends over and they had seances. Of course, after being on TV, everybody wanted to come inside the haunted house. One day, she excitedly told Edwin that she could get Ben to play her piano and showed him as she shouted, Ben, come and play a few notes. And yes, the piano did play, but Edwin wasn't impressed. You shouldn't be talking to him. Buy yourself a cross and get it blessed and wear it at all times. I bought crucifixes for each room and I suggest you do the same. It wasn't for weeks that Marsha became aware of April using the Ouija board. And when she did, she was terrified. She wasn't talking to Ben. She was talking to Henry. 
Now, Edwin hadn't told April about Henry. That conversation had remained pretty private between him, Marsha, and his neighbour, Walter. So when Marsha mentioned it, he felt panicked. Suddenly, everything began to make sense. You see, April had been changing. She would speak very angrily, which was not like her. And on one occasion, the screams and cries from her children were so loud that Edwin went downstairs to intervene. When he asked what on earth was going on, April said that the kids had been annoying her all day and that she wanted Jim to beat them. The kids were terrified. Jim stood there, belt in hand, not knowing what to do. April ranted, I just want you to be a father, a real man. But you can't even do that, can you? She glared at him. You useless asshole. Edwin instantly knew that the ghosts were changing April as soon as he heard about the Ouija board. So he ran downstairs and demanded to know where it was. She handed it over to him and he smashed it to pieces. I never want anything like this in the building again, he said, and he stormed off. After that, they didn't speak for a week. Eventually, April came up to his apartment and said, Edwin, I think you're possessed. What? He replied. Well, I've never seen you so angry before. And when you were smashing the board, there was a face behind you. A face? Edwin asked. Yeah, another man with brown hair and a distorted face. He knew instantly that she was talking about Henry. Well, I'm not, he assured her, but you should be more worried about yourself and your family. I think you should move out. Are you kicking us out? No, of course not, but I think it would be safer for you to move. She got up and left. Edwin decided he needed to talk to Jim about the situation to see how bad things really were, and they were bad. But Jim refused to believe it was ghosts. He thought that it was her being cooped up with the kids all day and that maybe she needed to get a job or something to give her a break. But you hear the footsteps, the arguments, the piano playing itself, and you see the chandelier swaying, right? Edwin asked. Yeah, yeah, Jim said. But I just don't think it's that. Jim and April began arguing constantly, so loud and so hateful, that they gave the ghosts a run for their money. Edwin felt sick knowing that he had agreed to them moving in. He felt responsible. April began confiding in Marsha. Her excitement had now turned to fear. She felt watched all the time. She was having nightmares. Something was touching her. And now her eldest son was talking to someone who wasn't there. Someone called Henry. When she would punish him, he would threaten to tell Henry. She was now a shadow of her previous self, chain-smoking, constantly pacing and speaking so quickly, like all her thoughts were jumbled. She felt like whatever was haunting her apartment wanted her to die, as she would hear voices telling her to kill herself. During this time, Edwin had secretly managed to buy another building. He had worked out that they could cover the mortgages with the rent from the three apartments. They would be renting two in the haunted building and one in the new building. Marsha almost fainted at the news and immediately asked when they could leave. As April was struggling so much with whatever she had allowed in her home, Marsha asked if they wanted to move to the new building too, but Jim refused, saying it was more convenient for his job to stay where they were. April, who had once been so excited to live there, was now utterly broken at the idea of having to stay. As the move approached, the activity intensified. The ghosts knew that they were leaving Mm. and they were not happy. Once more, Kitty vanished. 
Edwin knew exactly where to find her, and sure enough, the window had been opened, and she had been placed out on the pavement. This time, though, she had a bloody nose, as if she had been dropped from some height. Marsha was devastated and terrified. Edwin had absolutely had enough. He was furious. All he had ever wanted was a nice, secure home for his family, and these ghosts had ruined their lives. He threatened them that he would burn the whole damn building down, see how they liked roaming around a pile of rubble, and he meant it too. The cat was the last straw. Funnily enough, after that the spirits behaved themselves, upstairs at least. But poor April was losing it completely. She'd lost weight, she couldn't sleep because of the nightmares, she'd become detached from her children. Aww. Yeah, it's sad. The piano was now put up for sale as she couldn't deal with the constant playing of keys by invisible hands. And yet, Jim still refused to move. He didn't think the ghost had anything to do with April's state and that she was just going through a tough time. As much as Edwin and Marsha tried, he just wouldn't budge. Their family would be staying in that godforsaken building. The move finally came and the Beckers were ecstatic. A new home, a new start and most of all, no ghosts. All their apartments were now rented out and everything was going their way, finally. That is until around a month later when Jim called to tell them that April had gone missing in the middle of the night. I mean, there's no let up, is there, for this poor... No. Poor people. She hadn't been able to sleep, so she got up and was smoking and listening to the radio. Then the next thing he knew, she was gone. She'd taken her purse, but that's it. No clothes, no belongings, nothing. Edwin and Marsha were, of course, sick with worries. As their fears had become reality, April had finally lost it. Thankfully, the next day, Jim received a call from April. She said she had left and was not coming back. She said she would never set foot in that building again, and she never did. No one knows what she saw that night to scare her so much that she abandoned her family, as she would never speak of it. But even 40 years later, she still slept with the light on and the radio. Bless her. Jim moved out to live with his mother, who would look after the kids and so the bottom apartment was also rented out to someone else. However, obviously the complaints of noise and arguments began. The tenants were falling out with each other over the noise and the loud footsteps. Edwin knew that there was nothing he could do to make it stop, so he was left with no choice but to sell the building, and the only way they could afford a different house would be to sell the building that they'd just bought too. And they did this very quickly for quite a nice profit and so they were able to start house hunting. However, the agent was puzzled at the fact that he just couldn't sell the haunted building. The tenants had now asked to move out, and to be let out of their leases. Edwin said of course he would never force anyone to stay there, but he was now in trouble. How was he going to meet the mortgage payments if all his tenants left? He spoke to the agent, who was truly apologetic about not being able to sell it. Edwin felt bad for him, and so he confessed. I know why people aren't buying it. It's haunted. They're probably getting a bad vibe. The agent looked shocked. Haunted? Really? Oh yeah, really. Edwin continued to tell him about everything that had occurred at the house. The agent thought for a bit and then said, Right, well, I'll buy it. What? Edwin replied. Did you hear everything I just said? Yep, sure did. I've been fascinated by ghosts for years. So is my wife. I will definitely take it off your hands. And so it was done. 
The house, the ghosts, everything that had plagued Edwin and Marcia for almost two years was now a bad memory. Edwin later learned that the agent had become very sick after getting divorced from his wife and the building now sat unoccupied and unkept. April had a very hectic life with various failed marriages, substance abuse and finally becoming a recluse, refusing to see anyone, even her own children. Oh dear. Edwin and Marcia now seem extremely open to anything paranormal and have since seen many ghosts in different places they have visited but none as frightening or as oppressive as the ghosts from the two-story house they bought in 1970. And that's the end of the story and also my voice. Oh, well done. <laughs> oh, poor uh, April, though. The, everything did a real number on her, didn't it? Bless her. Well, everyone that was in there. Yeah, but, I mean, I'm not saying she asked for it, because obviously, horrible, but she did bring a Ouija board in. I think she kind of, yeah, yeah. yeah. We know that's silly now, but back then, she probably just thought she was going to have some fun and just, like, talk to the spirits like you would on the phone, but didn't realise how dangerous it could be. Yeah. Yeah. But Edwin told her, and she was just like, ah, I'll be right. Ah, what does he know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it ruined her life. Yeah. Seems that way, doesn't it? So, yeah, there you go. Well, thank you so much, Emma. That was, as always, amazing. You're more than welcome. We do love a little mini-series. <laughs> I feel like it's a good note to end on, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Well done. Well done. You're welcome. You're welcome. So we haven't got a horror song because we would have forgotten it by the time we get to September. Yes. I've got a little creepy story for you, though. Go on. Well, two, actually. You know, my eldest, when she was little, she saw things, right? She had invisible friends and yep. she saw Violet in the attic and all that. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, she's very nervous. She's very anxious. And quite often she'll get up in the night and she's, you know, she'll come and tell us she's frightened. And we go and sleep in their room with them. Anyway, a few weeks ago, she comes in and she says, I can hear this really weird music. I'm like, oh, it's probably just coming from the neighbours. But don't worry, you know, I'm coming. And I went and I got in bed with them. And I shit you not, I heard a mechanical music in their bedroom that I have never heard before. Like a music box, that kind of thing. Yes, except it's, it wasn't, it's not coming from any of their toys. I've never heard it before. And I haven't heard it since. But when it happened, she was still awake and she said, did you hear that? And I was like, yeah, I heard it. Don't worry. It's just from the neighbours. But inside I was going, fuck, fuck. What the fuck was that? You said you heard. I think I would have lied. I said I heard it, but I said, oh, it's just the neighbours. Yeah. I'm not going to make her. I don't want her to think she's mental. True that. Okay, fine. I retract my statement. But also, I wasn't going to say I heard it and I'm... What the fuck is that? Yeah, I don't like it. But yeah, so that was freaky. Never heard it since? Never heard it since. Never heard it before. And she's never said anything about it either. So I have literally no explanation for that at all. And it it sounded like it was right in my ear as well, which was horrible. Oh. Oh, no, thank you. And um, this is a bit sad, and then it gets spooky. We lost one of our cats at the beginning of the week, 
And we had, bless his socks, we had taken him to the vets to put him down, which is a horrible uh, decision to make. But when he got to the vets, he just pranced out of his cat cage like, no, I'm fine. You know, I'm all good. Purring, you know, making eyes at the vets. And the vets said to us, he's not ready. And I was like, no, he's not like this at home. I totally agree. You know, if you did it now, I'd feel like I was murdering him. So we kept bringing him home. Anyway, he did eventually die the way he wanted to, which was on his own terms at home, which is heartbreaking, but that's what he wanted. We took him to our new house because we're renovating a house and we didn't want to leave him behind when we left. So he's buried in our garden at the new house. And it was very upsetting for the kids, you know, especially the little one. It's the first time she's really been confronted with death to the point where she understands that he's never coming back. But today we, she said, oh, can we go and visit where we buried him? And I said, yeah, of course we can. And when we were there, she said, do you know that I can see cats that have died in the new house? Aww. I was like, what do you mean? She says, well, I can see cats, so I'm not really sure who they are, which makes sense because we have buried other cats there because this renovation has been going on for years. So we have buried other cats there so that eventually, you know, it's not like we're leaving them behind, but that she would have been too little to remember. So the fact that she's saying, oh, some of them, I don't know who they are, makes sense. And she said, but today I definitely saw Pandora. And I said, well, what was he doing? And she said, oh, he was just walking around. And I think he just wanted us to know that he was there. And I was like, oh, well, that's nice. Oh, bless her. So I think my, my, li- yeah. my little one sees ghost cats. Oh, that's such a sweet little... I'd rather see ghost cats any day. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. It wasn't creepy, but it was just a bit like, oh... It's really sweet the way that she said it. She was like, oh, it's just to let us know that it's okay. Yeah. Oh, no. I know. Bless Bless them. Little sweeties. But yeah, the music was not cool. Yeah, that's not cool. Mm -mm. I'll be glad to move. Violet, creepy music, and all the dead people can can have it. Yeah, purple lips. Yeah, she's purple lips attic lady. Yeah, she's welcome to it. Anyway, Mm. shall we let the people go? Yes, let the people go. For the last time for a while. Yep. Yeah. But never fear, we will be back. But no, we're still like active on social media and stuff. So we're we're still there, just in the background. Yeah. And we will see you in September. And, uh, you know, we might even be organised. We might have spent this free time writing scripts. Yeah, I... My goal is to have at least three stories written up, ready for when we come back. Yeah. But I know what I'll be like. It'll be the day before. And it'll be, Or like yeah. a couple of days before. And I'll be like, I've done fuck all. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know what to do. Same. But in my head, we're going to be super organised, so. Yeah. I have got a story suggestion, though, that I'm going to probably start with. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. When we do come back. So if you, if any of you do have any other story suggestions please get in contact with us over on our social media pages or via email indeed yes and i will well we will both be really happy to get some suggestions that'd be great any paranormal stories guys send them my way because you know there's only so many ghost stories i can find on the internet and then i'm gonna have to rely on you guys right and thanks so much for supporting us for these first three seasons and here's to the next three, right, ladies? Indeed, yep, indeed. Yep. In the meantime, guys, stay safe, 
don't kill people and keep it weird. My belly is bloated. Uh, I don't know what's going on. (laughs) In the meantime, Edwin got another dog, a grey poodle. Grey or great? A grey. No, it's just because I'm trying not to say poodle. And I was trying not to laugh and I was trying to be really mature and then you paused like you wanted us to laugh. So now I don't know what to do. I was expecting it. Okay. You're sending mixed signals here, Emma. I don't know what I'm saying. In the mid... In the mid... In the meantime... In the mid... In the meantime... In the meantime... <laughs>